Hey everybody, Chris, alcoholic. Um, I'm nervous. I have a tendency to blank out sometimes and just stop talking. So I'll do my best uh, to not to not do that. Sometimes I just completely shut down. So um, I'll do my best. My sobriety date is March fifteenth, two thousand and four. Um, <clears throat> I started drinking when I was about. Um, 11. Uh, as far as I know, I'm told I was a happy child. I had a pretty normal childhood. Um, I, as far as I, from what I've been told, I don't really remember my childhood. Um, my dad died when I was um, nine. And, um, you know, that was a traumatic experience, I guess, for my whole family. Um, my mom started working um, multiple jobs. So my sister and I were, you know, we were left to take care of ourselves. We were latchkey kids. You know, we were um, alone in the morning and alone after school. Um, and it wasn't very long after that happened that my sister's in recovery also, um, that we started drinking. Um, we used to go out. Um, you know, like we were in a blue, blue collar town and we used to go out just like gallivanting at nighttime, you know, not drinking. And um, for whatever reason, my brother's friends, you know, um, they were like, they gave me two shots of Everclear and uh, peppermint schnapps one night. I was like 11 years old. And um, of course I drank it. And um, don't, I don't know why, why, why would you, why would you not, you know, 11 years old. And um, it was like the greatest feeling ever. I wasn't, it wasn't like I was in a bad mood or not a good mood, but the shots were just made me feel that much better. And I went out gallivanting through town that night and had that much more fun. I just remember being even extra silly. And, um, you know, I loved it. It was great. Um, I didn't think, I didn't overthink it or underthink it. Um, I definitely was not sick the next morning. I had no repercussions. Um, you know, there was really nothing to it. And um, it really wasn't long after that. I think the summer came pretty quickly after that event. And, um, you know, with the summer you have off, like, obviously every night. So, um, we pretty much drank, you know, pretty regularly that summer and, you know, partied the whole summer. My mom was working all the time. So my house was like party central. So drinking regularly, um, and smoking pot pretty much happened like right away after my first drink. Um, my brother was older, so I had access to alcohol um, very, it was very easy. And also um, there was parties at my house regularly because he was there partying. And um, I had uh, two older friends. They were like, I don't know, 19 and 21. Don't ask. I think about it now. My sister and I think about it now. Like, why 
was there a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old hanging out with like 12-year-olds? I, I still to this day don't know. I still I still speak to them, but it's it is very strange when you think about it. So um, the point is, I had access to alcohol easily. It was not a problem um, at that young age. And so, um, but you know, there were no repercussions. Um, I had a lot of fun, you know, back then drinking and, you know, there was drinking, there was weed and there was um, hallucinogenics. That's what was going on in my life in that era. And, you know, um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, my mother, uh, I would say denial. Denial was what was going on at that point in time. Um, you know, we were following the Grateful Dead up and down the East Coast and, um, you know, she was giving us money for the tickets. So there was some kind of denial going on there. I don't know what was happening. But um, so I was about 12 years old at that point. And um, my mother met my stepfather or who was soon to be my stepfather, who's a great man. And uh, we, she, we were going, we were moving to a new town and in my mom's mind, she was moving us out of this situation where there, where we were drinking and doing drugs. And she was giving us an opportunity to start over and get us away from the drugs and alcohol, you know, moving us away from the riffraff. But in reality, we were, <clears throat> we were the riffraff. So, I mean, you know. In her mind, she was thinking like maybe this would stop, but we were in our new town for less than a month before we found people that drank and did drugs like us. So it wasn't, you know, it happened in a second. So of course we found people that drank and did drugs. And in this new town, um, uh, heroin and cocaine became part of the story very quickly. Um, so now I'm like 14 and now, you know, total garbage head, you know, doing everything under the sun, including shooting heroin and um, drinking alcoholically, you know, every night of the week, if possible, which, you know, usually there wasn't an issue with that. Um, driving drunk, driving under the influence, you know, drinking in school, doing drugs in school, um, have no idea how I, you know, passed high school, whatever, you know, barely went. Um, this is when things stopped being fun at this point. You know, this is where depression sets in and um, uh, cutting, I have an issue with cutting, eating disorder, all of these things start to set into my life um, now. And uh you know, the happiness and happy, joyous and free drinking and drugs is no longer so much fun. I mean, I'm still having fun or I'm fooling myself that I'm, now I need drugs and alcohol all the time to be okay and to have fun, either or, as we all know. Without it, I am, you know, a hysterical, crying, hyperventilating mess without it. I need it to function. I need it to, you know, uh, socialize in school. I need it to be okay around family and friends. <clears throat> I'm not okay without it. So I'm about 16, 17 in and out of institutions. Now that begins. So now the, the, 
those trips start. Uh, rehabs, psych hospitals, all of that. When I was about 17, I look at the time. When I was about 17, I went into a 28 day program um, because of heroin. And I was able to um, grasp the concept of the 12 steps, but I was able to apply it to just heroin, <clears throat> excuse me, just heroin, which was perfect for me because I mean, as far as my friends and my family were concerned, I just needed to not do heroin because my family drank oh, alcoholics. I know we're not supposed to say that. Well, my sister and my brother are in recovery, so I can say it about them. But the rest of my family drinks. All of my friends drank. Just nobody wanted me to do heroin. So as long as I could put down the heroin, everything would be okay. So this was okay. That was fine with me. I'm good with that. So I was able to apply that to heroin, which allowed me to drink successfully. Not really. We'll just say successfully, unsuccessfully for many more years, many more years to damage myself, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. So I drank for many, many more years after that. And also other drugs too, it, just as long as it wasn't heroin. That's it, as long as it wasn't heroin. So I did, I did that uh, for many more years. I worked as a waitress and a bartender, which was a perfect job. It's the perfect job for an alcoholic because you can drink during the day, I mean, you can sleep during the day, then you can drink on the job, nighttime hours, everything was great, you know? And I was, and at this point in time, now I'm doing a lot of ecstasy, acid, benzos, opiates, and alcohol as much as possible. And I can drink on the job, so that's great. But again, I'm depressed. I'm so depressed, I wanna die. I do. I definitely don't want to live anymore, but I'm um, um, drinking as much as possible just to get through every day. You know, I mean, my friends at the time, I don't know. I think they kind of know that there's something wrong, but at the same time, I don't know. I just, they just didn't know what to do with me, I guess. You know, I was the person that was happy in the beginning of, in the beginning of the night, drinking, drinking, happy, happy, happy. Then by the end, I'm crying and screaming and you know, they did a lot of babysitting. People babysat me a lot. And I definitely drove drunk a lot. Definitely have gotten into a couple car accidents. But, um, you know, my family always, they got me out of situations. So there was, you know, I had minimal outside consequences as far as like police or anything like that. Like I, I got into a car accident and hit a car into the middle of the road, but it was like two in the morning. So I drove all the way home and my, you know, stepfather made the car disappear in like a friend's um, junkyard. So, you know, like I would get away with certain things. So I didn't have those, um, those consequences. Um, and, you know, I was hardly ever the uh, designated drunk driver. I mean, the designated driver, because, you know, I don't think we ever had a designated driver. I don't know. People have those people do have those at least um you know you always hear about people having designated drivers I we never had a designated driver maybe maybe because we knew that that wasn't like really ever gonna 
happen. I don't know. Anyway, um, okay, so let me think. Where am I going with this? So I'm waiting tables, um, miserable. Um, many years later, see, this is where I'm blanking now. This is where I'm blanking. Um, this is like, this is getting to be the end, the end of my drinking, the end of my drinking. And um, I'm slowly becoming more and more depressed. Um, things with the cutting are getting worse and worse. Um, and I, I know that I have to stop drinking and I'm starting to uh, like shut down emotionally and like um I actually tell my job where I'm where I'm waiting tables that um I need to leave the job because it's it's too much on me and I leave the job and I I actually leave I I leave the apartment that I'm living in by myself because I'm it's I'm I'm hurting myself too much they're living by myself so I tell them so I leave that apartment and I go live with my brother because I figure if I'm living with people I won't be able to hurt myself as much and maybe I'll drink less so I'm trying to get myself in a safer environment to drink less and to hurt myself less. So I try, like, I do the whole, like what everybody does. I drink just wine or just beer. I, I tried the Xanax maintenance program where I only did Xanax and didn't drink. Like that didn't work, you know, like how does that even help? Doesn't help. Um, and uh, none of this is working. So um, I'm, I, uh, I'm trying to get drunk one night um, and I have a bottle of Black House that, that Barry schnapps and I'm drinking it and I'm drinking it and I'm drinking it. I'm trying to get drunk and I can't get drunk. Oh, and I'm just drinking this bottle. I'm doing shot after shot after shot and I can't get drunk. And I don't understand why I can't get drunk. And then I just throw up in my cup and it's just the schnapps in the cup. And there's like no more schnapps in the bottle. But I threw up the schnapps in the cup and I'm not drunk. So I drink what I just threw up because I didn't want to waste the schnapps. Like that's disgusting. Like that's totally disgusting. Like who does that? So I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like I'm a total, total mess. So I'm taking pills at nighttime to go to sleep. And then I'm like, wait, I think I took too many pills. Like maybe I shouldn't have done that. And then like, I go to bed thinking like, oh, well, fuck it. Maybe I won't wake up. And then I wake up the next day and I'm like, oh my God, I wish I didn't wake up. Like I'm such a mess. Like I want to die. I didn't know what to do. So I'll, I check myself into another, another, like a detox. And, you know, um, I want to go. I had experience with NA, not AA. Um, and I have a, I had a friend who continued to stay sober. Um, he comes to, to bring me to um, a meeting or so I think, but he ends up bringing me to a woman who's in AA and he drops me off at her house. And, um, you know, she tells me she can help me. 
I know nothing about the big book. I really don't know anything about AA except that it's, you know, came around before A before NA and it follows the 12 steps and it's for alcoholics. So he drops me off at her house and um uh you know, she tells me she can help me. She tells me her story. I honestly out of detox, I cannot put sentences together. I I can you know, I, I can't really speak. I, I can barely understand what you're talking about. Like I'm a mess, but she tells me her story. You know, I can relate to her. Um, and it's good just to be around people that are fucked up like me. So eventually she, maybe the second time I met with her, she starts to read the big book with me, which made absolutely no sense. I don't, I don't, I don't even understand what she's reading to me, but I continue to meet with her and she's like, reading this book with me which I don't even understand like I didn't I didn't understand it and as she's reading it she's explaining to me what she's reading and she's explaining to me the steps you know like how how it's laid out and the steps in the book and I mean you know you can't read the big book on your own you need to read it with someone at least in my experience because I would never be able to pick out the steps in the big book without someone reading it with me. So that's what's happening. She's reading the big book with me. She's explaining to me the steps in the big book. And like, I'm miserable when I first came in, like I'm totally miserable. Like I'm crying all the time. I don't understand anything. I don't understand. um, I I don't think I'm ever going to feel better. I don't think I'm ever going to feel better. I think I'm going to be sober and I think I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. That's it. It's basically what I think. I think I can't drink. I can't do drugs. I have to stay sober because I'm going to kill myself. Literally, I'm going to kill myself if I keep drinking. But I'm just going to have to be sober and miserable. So, but I keep meeting at my, at this woman's house who made, basically she made herself become my sponsor. I didn't ask her. It just, she just became my sponsor. So I meet with her every week. Um, She continues to read the big book with me she continues to take me through the steps. She was religious. No, she wasn't religious. She just, she believed in God as it is in the big book or whatever. And, and when I came into recovery, um, at that point in time, I believed in God, but it wasn't the same God I was raised with. I think from all the drugs and alcohol and all the acid, I like made up my own God when I was using So like I had some forgiving God when I first came into recovery. So when she took me, when she took me through the steps, I was able to, I was, I was able to um, go through the big book with some concept of a God. So going through the steps with her was okay. Um, And her, because she was very, God is everything or God is nothing. And I was okay with that at that point in time. So she took me through the steps and we did the fourth and the fifth step. For me, it was okay. I, I had no problem with that. I know sometimes people are afraid of that. It was not, it was, it was okay for me. I know I was an asshole when I was drinking and doing drugs. So it didn't, I don't know. It didn't, it, I don't see what the big deal is. It's not, you know not that big of a deal I needed to look at myself and I know I was a dick so it was not a big deal so I did the fourth and the fifth step and eventually I did my amends and um the amends were amazing that was another great experience that I had um and uh 
you know, they all didn't go the way I wanted them to. There were some people that didn't want to hear my amends and that was okay too. Um, I did, you know, what I was supposed to do. I, you know, cleaned up my side of the street and people that didn't want to hear my amends, that was okay. Um, but eventually this woman and I um, outgrew each other and um, we parted ways and I didn't have a sponsor for, I don't know, not that long, but maybe a year or so. But in that time period, my belief, beliefs kind of started changing and um, AA had started to become a little bit more difficult for me with the whole God thing. So everything, you know, I was questioning a lot of things and things were becoming more difficult and it was becoming difficult for me to find a sponsor. Um, and I was becoming very uh, restless, irritable and discontent and agitated and irritated. I didn't feel like I was at the risk of using, but I was not okay. So I eventually found another sponsor and um, I did want to go through the steps again, but I was also um, concerned about the whole God issue. Um, but I did find a wonderful woman who became my sponsor again. And she, um, she was able to take me through the steps in the big book again. Um, and she, she was able to do it um, in a softer way. Um, I guess, uh, in a more softer spiritual kind of sort of way that worked for me. And it wasn't like a whole God experience way as it is in the big book. Um, and that worked really well for me. So that was another great experience that I had. And she remained my sponsor for many, many years, um, until she moved to Rhode Island and then I was without a sponsor again for many years, but this time for a long time, it was for quite a few years. And again, my beliefs shifted again. And um, this time, uh, this time more dramatically, more dramatically to the point where traditional AA became like basically unbearable, <laughs> like unbearable. So I had, at that point, I had left my, um, my home group. That was my home group for a very long time for, for, for religion, for the God reasons and for political reasons, I had to leave that home group. So I left that home group and I had, I had become part of another home group and I had remained there for a little while, but I think that the God thing at that home group had eventually become an issue and I had to leave there. And then I was at another home group, which was good. I was there for a while, but then COVID hit. So um, I, you know, uh, that meeting closed down and, um, the whole, you know, uh, online zoom meeting started, but I still did not have a sponsor. And this is, this was, I don't know, I, I'm going to say three years, four years, maybe without a sponsor, not, not the best, not the best thing, at least for me, not the best thing. So, um, zoom meetings, um, traditional zoom meetings, at least what I was trying to go for was I, I was not having a good time like the god thing in the zoom meetings and everything was horrible i was having a horrible time i couldn't stand it it was it was it was really hard for me i did not know what to do or where to go it came to 
like I thought I needed to, I, I really didn't think I belonged in AA anymore. Like I was looking for alternative solutions um, because it was, you know, my beliefs totally changed altogether and I really couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear the meetings at all. <laughs> my, my sister and I were thinking of possibly doing mushrooms to have some kind of spiritual experience maybe to find an alternate way to stay sober like we were grasping at straws like we were we were not sure what the fuck to do like honestly that was really like mm, we were we were really looking into that we were looking into that that was like a possible a possibility of finding an alternative route to stay sober so we were like we were at the end end of our little ropes here so uh it was it was we were in we were in a bad shape bad shape um and uh, eventually she found it. My sister found a uh, secular AA and um, we both started going and uh, that was a great experience. Um, so COVID did really help with that. I, um, I found a great meeting that I was going to for a while and a sponsor and I did the steps again, um, the secular steps, which was a very interesting experience. And I did the whole all of it, fourth and fifth. I did another set of amends. Um, so for me, I love doing the steps um, personally. It's always a great um, growth experience and learning about myself. And it usually, I don't know, it takes the edge off of life whenever I'm feeling really shitty and it gives me, like sets me on a, a new course, resets my whatever shit's going on inside my head. Um, and uh you know, I guess it, it puts my feet back in the program a lot of times. Um, but, uh, you know, like we can get through anything in recovery, sober. Um, you know, I had gone through a lot of things in recovery, a lot of deaths. Um, you know, my mom died in recovery in 2014, which definitely isn't something I thought I would have been able to stay sober for, you know, um, and I did. I did stay sober for that. And my best friend died, um, in July last year. Um, and that was the, um, honestly hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in sobriety in my 19 years of recovery. Honestly, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And I was able to get through it sober. And I, I hate talking on the phone and I, probably haven't talked on the phone that much in uh, many, many years, but I was able to stay sober because, you know, because of this program, because of what was taught to me and because I have people that I can, you know, reach out to and talk to on the phone and, you know, do stuff like that. So, um, you know, the program does work. And the other thing is I am now applying, I never thought I'd say this. I am applying these steps and what I learned in this program to quit smoking right now, I'm quitting smoking cigarettes. So that's what I'm doing now. 19 years later, I'm quitting smoking. That is all I have to share. I hope I, I don't know. Hope I said something good. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>